contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only. They are not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. No, they are not. <laughs> Today on the lab report, Dr. Dom Diagostino. Probably the smartest man I know. Oh, you have a list? The top ten list? I do. You're on it. Am I? Don't get a big head about it. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. What are you eating over there? Oh, I got this keto white chocolate. White chocolate? Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's keto, so I don't even know what's in it. (laughs) Hello! Hi, Michael Chapman. Howdy, Devers. How goes it? It goes well, except I don't know if I could eat keto white chocolate. Uh, Do you want to try some? No. Oh, okay. I mean, you can't, like, you don't know how to eat it? (laughs) No, I'm, I'm fairly certain I'd be able to eat it. I'm not sure I want to eat it. Oh. All right. Well, I'll give one to Dom. That's a great idea. So uh, this is a podcast. Mm-hmm. It's called The Lab Reports, where we talk about things like specialty lab testing, integrative therapeutics, and functional and integrative and precision medicine. Thank you all for joining us. Yeah. If you're new to the show, welcome. We're so glad to have you. And if you're returning, thanks, as Michael just said. And hopefully you would have gone to iTunes or Spotify, perhaps subscribe to the show, maybe rate, review, share with your friends, download, you know, things like that. Maybe we should read... A five-star review on the show. I like it. So if you leave us a super sweet review, nice. you get some airtime, which basically means my you know, my mom will hear your <laughs> review. And my sister. Yeah. Yeah, so you can uh, also send your feedback along to podcast at gdx.net. That's our email address. And you can also follow us on social media at Genova Diagnostics. A lot of fun uh, antics yeah. going on there on Instagram, Facebook, things like that. Not on the TikTok yet. Not yet. Working the reels, I think. How many platforms are we supposed to be navigating these days? It's too many. Well, I mean, let's not get into that, honestly. Let's get to Dr. Dom Diagostino because uh, I've got a list. I've got a list of questions. Dude, we had Dr. Dom Diagostino on the show early on, OG, Lab Report OG. And as soon as we hung up, we both had lists of questions, and we've been dying to get him back on the show. Yes, and they were actually legitimate science questions. It wasn't like, can he get us Joe Rogan? <laughs> no. Dr. Dom Diagostino is a PhD researcher, uh, one of the preeminent voices in you know the, the biohacker space regarding ketosis, lead researcher in ketosis and neurologic disorders, hyperbaric oxygen effects on the brain, so lots to talk about. He's one of those run toward danger types, I think. Yeah. I mean, with being under at the bottom of the ocean for however long he was in, like, and it was like in a small little yeah. thing. <laughs> I'm such a scaredy cat. Me too. I don't even like the ocean. Not, I mean, I'm even afraid of the thoughts about yeah. the things, right? Like, <laughs> I'm afraid of the, th- like, thinking. I'm af- I have to stay away, keep my conscious mind away from thinking about skydiving because oh, even the thought yeah. of it oh, no. makes me uncomfortable. No. It's not even like I have to stay away from doing it or falling. I have to stay away from it. It's like fear inception. <laughs> Stop talking about all these things, Michael, because I'm afraid of them too. We should do like an ASP, just talking about these scary things. ASP would be referring to a adrenal cortex stress profile. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get Dr. Dom on the line. Call him up. 
Michael Chapman. I know. He's back. Yes. I know. By popular demand. Dr. Dominic Diagostino is a tenured associate professor in the Department of Molecular Pharmacology and Physiology at the University of South Florida Morsani College of Medicine. He is also a research scientist at the Institute for Human and Machine Cognition. His laboratory develops and tests nutritional strategies and metabolic-based therapies for neurologic disorders, seizures, cancer, and metabolic wellness. He was a research investigator and crew member on NASA's Extreme Environment Mission Operation, NEMO 22, and has a personal interest in environmental medicine and methods to enhance safety and physiological resilience of military personnel in extreme environments. His research is supported by the Office of Naval Research, Department of Defense, private organizations, and nonprofit foundations. And with that, welcome back, Dom Diagostino. Thank you so much for joining us. It's great to be back. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> So we can't thank you enough, of course, for coming back on the show. Um, last time we were spoke, we talked a lot about concepts around ketosis <clears throat> and uh, hyperbaric oxygen. Um, and we kind of left that conversation with like lists, lists of more questions. So we've been compiling them for several years. So <laughs> I hope you're ready to go. First, you are definitely the go-to expert in ketosis. Um, a lot, many clinicians know about ketosis as it relates to refractory seizures, but there's a lot of other consequences of ketosis and some clinical conditions that you might not think ketosis is all that helpful for. So can you start and just kind of talk a little bit about ketosis and conditions where it might be helpful? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, I got into ketosis because uh, we study uh, oxygen toxicity seizures, which is a consequence of breathing very high levels of oxygen, uh, more so under military applications, but also the limitation of hyperbaric oxygen therapy, or at least the dosing protocol and the, the level of hyperbaric oxygen that you can tolerate is uh, sort of dictated by CNS oxygen toxicity, which would be a grand mal seizure. Mm -hmm. So I was studying seizures, and that is the clinical use of the ketogenic diet for drug refractory seizures and for pediatric, but also for adults. And uh, in, in the process of studying the ketogenic diet, the military organization wanted sort of a ketogenic diet in a drug kind of uh, to use operationally, uh, increase feasibility and compliance and also a rapid onset of activity. So I put uh, quite a bit of time and effort into developing sort of those technologies, but have maintained, uh, always maintained ketogenic diet research, diet and supplementation research, and then uh, just interesting ways that we can achieve and sustain ketosis and, and the emerging applications studying that even beyond seizures. Huh, that's fascinating. Well, what are some of the other ones besides seizures that, that you're studying the use of ketogenic diet or ketosis? Mm -hmm. Yeah, good question. Thanks for asking. Uh, we are doing, um, well, we go across the spectrum. So we have, uh, I do basic science research in cells, and we have animal models of different inborn errors of metabolism and genetic disorders. And then we have human clinical trials, and then uh, and then sometimes my wife and I become research subjects in, <laughs> in <laughs> missions right. like the NASA Extreme Environment Mission right. Right. Operations. So, uh, so uh, early on, we observed that in the presence of the ketones, the mitochondria continue to function, but they produce less oxygen-free radicals in the form of superoxide, uh, superoxide mm -hmm. uh, which then can, you know, under certain conditions, move on to more reactive intermediates like hydroxyl radical and oxidized membrane lipids, proteins, and nucleic acids. So uh, that was like 15 years ago. And then I moved on you know, to studying oxygen toxicity. And then the next project was actually Alzheimer's disease because mm. Alzheimer's disease is 
kind of, you know, linked in some ways to oxidative stress, but also brain energy metabolism. And working with the Bird Alzheimer's Research Institute at USF Morsani College of Medicine, uh, we did a mouse uh, study with that. And there was even a study with uh, coconut oil and MCT oil uh, clinical trial. It, recruiting for that was quite difficult because people realized they could go to the store and get it and didn't mm-hmm. want to take a placebo. Right. That's another story. <laughs> but uh, in, in, in mouse models of Alzheimer's, which are not really great models, uh, they it does have an effect. Uh, in particular, in our study, it showed on motor function when mm-hmm. these animals were put on ketogenic diets and put on like a rotor rod device, which is looks at like motor function, coordination, balance. And then we can set the device to look at uh, endurance. They ran faster. Mm-hmm. So that was the biggest thing that jumped out. Uh, we started the intervention a bit later. So uh, results were sort of attenuated because of that. But if you start earlier, which I think is a theme with Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. is to, you know, do a host of measurements uh, to, to make sure prevention is the key, especially if it's in your in your family. Right. So Alzheimer's disease is something that we study uh, and a number of diseases you may or may not have heard of Angelman syndrome, Kabuki syndrome, uh, glycogen synthase disorder syndrome, also known as Pompeii syndrome, uh, a number of different inborn errors of metabolism that are responsive to the ketogenic diet for two reasons, because the, for example, in glucose transporter type one deficiency syndrome, uh, the elevation of ketone bodies then functions as an alternative energy substrate uh, for patients who have this disorder where they have uh, a limited amount of glucose that can cross the blood-brain barrier because the GLUT1 transporter is deficient. Mm-hmm. So they have uh, glucose levels in the CSF like uh, 2 millimolar or lower, I think is the the clinical, uh, that's how you clinically define it. You mm-hmm. do a, a lumbar puncture and measure the glucose in, in, the, the, in the CSF. And then so the ketones will uh, freely cross uh, the blood-brain barrier, mm-hmm. and then they can restore and preserve brain energy metabolism, and it tends to uh, reduce seizures. But more importantly, it's actually giving the brain an alternative source of energy, which happens when we fast. Right. You know, mm-hmm. if we stop eating today in like two or three days or in about four or five days, the level of ketones will be about the same level of uh, glucose in the blood. And so your brain will be using about 50% of its energy from ketone bodies mm-hmm. and 50% glucose. Glucose never goes to zero if you eat low carbs or you fast because we have very powerful homeostatic mechanisms that maintain blood glucose through gluconeogenesis. And mm-hmm. uh, the glycerol backbone of triglycerides, for example, can become a glucose precursor and things. So, so brain energy metabolism uh, and cancer. So we have half of what I do actually is cancer research. And that's, these are preclinical animal model research, but we do collaborate with the Moffitt Cancer Center. And we are writing quite a, writing grants nonstop to try mm-hmm. to get the stuff funded and uh, mostly in brain tumor patients. Mm-hmm. And I can kind of go into more of that if you want to hear that. But some of the interesting things that we're working on, I have a student studying Kabuki syndrome which is a rare genetic disorder associated with hypomethylation. So ketone bodies are not only uh, energy metabolites that have a variety of functions, but they have signaling functions. Uh, They change the neuropharmacology of the brain, but they also have epigenetic functions through histone deacetylase inhibition Mm -hmm. and also a process called uh, beta-hydroxybutyrylation. That's a mouth term, but the beta hydroxybutyrate can directly interact with the histone 
and okay. histones and turn on uh, activation of repressed genes. And uh, Johns Hopkins did some research on this using the ketogenic diet, Dr. Bjornsson's lab, and we were able to get the mice. And then my student did a breeding protocol to breed the mice up. And now we're doing behavioral studies, which is very interesting. And we learned that these mice don't see well. So a big part of her project has been developing an olfactory model of learning and memory wow. and, and working on that. She's working on that right now as we speak. So, Pretty awesome. um, That's yeah, so a variety yeah. of different things. Right. That, I mean, to think that there's that type of epi epigenetic aspect to ketones is mm -hmm. something I never would have guessed Me in either. any a hundred years, but you know, you mentioned some specific clinical conditions and then also kind of mentioned, uh, first the cancer as well as, uh, the Alzheimer's disease. And the thing that popped in my mind was, how often we're starting to refer to cognitive decline and Alzheimer's as sort of like this type three diabetes. You hear that kind of going around from time to time. And um, the the mechanisms that are similar in my mind are, you know, the, the aspect to insulin resistance um, and, and the effects thereof. And so it's, it's interesting to me that this thing that acts directly against insulin resistance would have that effect with Alzheimer's and even cancer, as you say. So yeah. Um, so insulin resistance is, has been termed in the brain type three diabetes mm -hmm. and a hallmark characteristic of Alzheimer's disease or, or dementia, even for that matter is glucose hypometabolism that can be detected in an FTG PET scan. Uh, my, you know, Dale Bredesen has done quite a bit of work on this and actually was a keynote speaker at the metabolic health summit, which is coming up in mm -hmm. a couple, couple weeks or mm -hmm two months. Uh, and he's got a great book on this. So I'd refer people to his book that really goes into different types of Alzheimer's. It's my belief that uh, over the years, the first patient I was ever put in communication with was the husband of Dr. Mary Newport, uh, who was a pediatrician and neonatal intensive care unit uh, physician. And her husband got Alzheimer's disease and responded remarkably well to coconut oil and MCT oil. This made uh, news in Tampa, St. Pete area, and she was in uh, the cover of the paper, which covered yeah. her story because her husband uh, was able to achieve a higher score on the mini mental status test and also the clock test. And it was validated at the Bird Alzheimer's Institute at the USF College of Medicine. And th this caught my attention because I had never heard of ketones. You know, I only knew the ketogenic diet for as a fad weight loss diet, and we mm -hmm. can get into that. Right. Uh, it's really not a fad a, or an anti-seizure diet. So it was her that she brought this to my attention in 2007 or eight. And then that led to, that actually led to funding from the Alzheimer's Association to do the mouse study. So it is, and I witnessed her husband consume MCT oil and coconut oil when we went out to dinner after she was a guest speaker in one of my classes at the College of Aging. And I watched her husband had uh, fine tremors and he was pretty advanced at this point. And then about 15, 20 minutes after he consumed it, the tremor stopped and he became more animated and talkative. So I began to think that there might be something to this and that actually motivated me to study it further. Uh, I believe that there's probably different, you know, the etiology of Alzheimer's disease is quite complex. It's not just, you know, amyloid beta and tau. I think there's a metabolic dysregulation that contributes to the accumulation of these proteins and also inflammation, neuroinflammation, and a variety of different factors. But it's my belief that about one third of patients uh, that, you know, I communicate with seem to respond very favorably to the ketogenic diet. And there's probably a variety of reasons for that. But um, it's my belief that 
you know, there's nothing to lose with using nutritional ketosis, uh, but a better approach would probably be supplemental ketosis because there's a variety of patients who are unwilling or unable to follow a ketogenic diet. And, and, you know, a nutrition is the cornerstone of our, our health, our physiology and our brain health. So nutrition is key, but a ketogenic diet, which is really high in fat. Uh, and you know, I'm a person who studies this and, and I actually follow a ketogenic diet, but I would be the first to tell you, it's probably not wise to be in high state of chronic ketosis all the time. And it's probably not natural to eat that amount of fat all the time. And, and it's probably not natural to eliminate, you know, uh, a lot of the carbohydrates that we would normally consume, especially vegetables and fiber, which contributes to gut uh, microbiome diversity. So for Alzheimer's disease, I believe that it could be a foundation along with many other uh, things that can be added onto that. Well, let, let me take this just a little bit further and dive a little bit deeper on a couple of those things you just talked about. Because you mentioned, you know, many people look at ketosis as a fad diet. Others look at ketosis as really a way of life. And this concept of meta metabolic flexibility is getting a lot of press these days, right? Metflex, using carbs when they're available, glucose when it's available versus fat when it's available. And then it comes down to that concept you just talked about, the ketogenic diet versus exogenous ketones. And I just want to dive into the difference. And, and does taking exogenous ketones shut off that endogenous production? How do those two things work either together or against each other? That's a good question. Not too many people have asked that, but it's a very good question. Uh, you know, with metabolic flexibility, when we limit carbohydrates or restrict carbohydrates, we suppress the hormone insulin. And the suppression of the hormone insulin is actually what drives fatty acid oxidation in the liver to produce ketones. So ketone production is completely dependent upon the suppression of the hormone insulin. Mm -hmm. So that, that's an important concept. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's also limited glucose availability, uh, which decreases glycolysis. When you suppress insulin, the glycolytic pathways also get suppressed. So that is the driver for ketone production. And, uh, and you know, the more we do the ketogenic diet, the easier it kind of gets and the more benefits we derive from it and the more metabolic flexibility we, can, we would have to be able to go into ketosis and to come out of ketosis. Meaning that if you follow a ketogenic diet for a period of time, get off of it and get back on again, your level of ketones will uh, rise more rapidly mm. after. I think there's like a metabolic uh, memory associated with that. Like when we work out, we can get a certain strength level. We take time off. Mm -hmm. We get really weak after a couple couple weeks or months. Mm -hmm. And then that strength comes back in about a third of the time that it did to get there. Okay. Right. And uh, when we follow a ketogenic diet, there's epigenetic changes. There's upregulation in fatty acid, oxidation enzymes, transporters, ketolytic enzymes, ketone transporters called, called monocarboxylic acid transporters. Um, all these things get upregulated up and some of them are upregulated just in the presence of ketones. So ketones can, for example, upregulate the transporter for its transport. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about exogenous ketones, that's circumventing the dietary restriction that's typically associated with achieving nutritional ketosis, almost like an unnatural state, some mm -hmm. people would say. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, we have observed that if you take a large dose of a ketone ester, say you're fasted or on a ketogenic diet, and you take a large dose of a ketone ester that pushes your ketones above two millimolar, the ketone induced uh, release of insulin will then 
shut down. It's not like shut off or on. It's like a rheostat. Like it'll turn down uh, fatty acid oxidation and ketone production. Whereas uh, ketone salts, generally the most they can increase your ketones are about one to two millimolar. Mm. And I've never been able to get that insulin response from a ketone salt, even like two packets of, uh, of keto start, which is probably like the most potent ketone salt preparation okay. uh, that you can get ketones elevated, but you continue to still make your own ketones, which I think is important for uh, if you're going to use it as a lifestyle. Whereas in the context of certain seizure disorders like status epilepticus, you know, oxygen toxicity seizures and Navy SEALs or other, you know, extreme environment applications, a large dose of a ketone ester could be efficacious and uh, more ideal in those situations uh, because you have a much more rapid rise. The relative, the rapid rate of rise of ketones in the blood can shut off your ketone production. So I've seen that. Whereas a ketone electrolyte salt that has electrolytes like sodium, potassium, calcium, magnesium bound to beta hydroxybutyrate. And if you take that salt and then formulate it with a ketogenic fat, like mm -hmm. medium chain triglycerides, mm -hmm. which would be uh, caprylic triglyceride or capric triglyceride, then the fat and, and, the, and the, the electrolytes like sodium will delay gastric absorption. So you'll have a more gentle rise in ketones and a, a longer sustainment of that ketosis over time. And that seems to be, uh, that's sort of what I do personally and seems to be a better approach sort of as a lifestyle uh, approach, uh, maybe for enhancing cognitive function or energy. Um, and probably, uh, I, I get a little, you know, I have access to pretty much anything and I would not take ketone esters, <laughs> oh. you know, they, they tend to be quite powerful unless you take a smaller dose, mm -hmm. but even with a smaller dose, it seems like the rapid rate of rise of ketones tends to shut my own ketone production off. Okay. The scenario is like, if I'm, if I wake up and I'm like fasted or semi-fasted and I was to take like a beta hydroxybutyrate monoester, for example my ketones would go up pr pretty quickly to three to four or five millimolar. And what happens is there's a release of insulin. So you have a pretty sharp reduction in blood glucose, which is, uh, they're very powerful glucose disposal agents. But then about two hours later, the ketones come down, they get out of your system and you're hypoketotic and hypoglycemic at the same time. And yeah. for me, it gives me a headache and yeah. I just, I'd feel like brain fog mm -hmm. two hours yeah. later. Whereas if I take an electrolyte and electrolytes by themselves might be important an electrolyte bound to ketones mixed with MCT then that gives me a nice boost and sustainment of energy over time. And, you know, if you have a little bit of caffeine mixed in there too, that's mm -hmm. like, I, I think of it as like a nootropic synergistic combination. Interesting. Nice, Interesting. Nice. Well, and correct, if, correct me if I'm wrong in my understanding of this, but it's also kind of like the exogenous um, supplementation of ketones is kind of acting on a different mechanism than the endogenous production of ketones because in the one circumstance you're having a metabolic effect by suppressing insulin on the other hand you're having you know maybe more of that effect around the uh the epigenetic aspects and the other things that ketones do in and of themselves is that kind of correct to think of that two metabolic or two different outcomes with those well, I think there's a lot of overlap. So if you're consuming large amounts of exogenous ketones, it can potentially decrease fatty acid oxidation because exogenous ketones are a calorie containing, they're like a fourth macronutrient, I guess, if you, if you want to use that term. Yeah. Uh, so you're adding energy to the system by doing that, but I would put them into the camp of fats. So they're, they are 
basically like water soluble fat breakdown products, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? So, so they can be consumed in relatively small quantities, anywhere from 10, 10 grams will produce a physiological effect and even an epigenetic effect. And then a daily consumption. Uh, I believe that Steve Newport, doc, Dr. Newport's husband was taking up to hundred grams of, of ketone ester per day. And he did that for years. And uh, I saw a lot of blood work and everything looked pretty much normal. Uh, and over time, the chronic use of exogenous ketones tends to increase insulin sensitivity, which is interesting. Uh, Dr. The late Dr. Richard Veach had a uh, review article on this describing describing that. Um, so if you take exogenous ketones, it's functioning as an energy metabolite, but also a signaling molecule. And in our hands, it has an anti-seizure effect, even, in, even when animals are consuming a standard uh, diet with high carbohydrates. So for example, we can administer an exogenous ketone and then uh, if even independent of the seizure type, so grand mal seizure, uh, you know, we'd look at absence seizures, a variety of different seizure types, uh, chemical and phenyl and tetrazole seizure. Uh, these seizures are rapidly suppressed with the administration of these ketogenic agents. And then, then I, for me, I think that the biggest utility for these compounds are are things that the ketogenic diet we know already responds to, and it's the standard of care, for example, uh, mm-hmm. for, for seizures. So a lot of people are using them for weight loss and appetite regulation. And, you know, we have some studies, you know, the preclinical animal model work is quite compelling. And five years ago, there was no trials on clinicaltrials.gov. If you go to clinicaltrials.gov now and type in ketone supplement, there are over a hundred <laughs> clinical oh, trials yeah. on, mm-hmm. and this, mm-hmm. this is very exciting to me. I'm, right. you know, a basic science animal researcher, although uh, we are moving the science to clinical application, but I never thought there would be the emergence of these. And it's everything from, you know, seizure disorders, a lot of exercise studies, cardiovascular studies, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's disease, alcohol withdrawal, <laughs> I think there's one for anorexia. There's like psychiatric disorders. So there's an emerging application for these things. Well, and also the way that you're describing it. Sorry, I'm like super excited about it. It makes me think that there's probably some compelling thought or evidence or even just a hypothesis around how effective they could be in ADD, ADHD. Yes, that's actually, you know, it's a topic that is very interesting to me for a variety of reasons, uh, just because parents have communicated with me and even showed me before and after videos of wow. kids that have been put on modified ketogenic diets, but also kids that could not really tolerate the diet well, but they were put on uh, ketone supplements and it tends to decrease. Now, you know, they replaced sugary drinks with uh, a ketone salt, uh, formulations, which tend to taste really good. Not the esters. They don't taste good. (laughs) We do research on that taste of them. Uh, they do not taste good, but, uh, (laughs) but if, you know, if you produce a state of ketosis, uh, it does have acute effects on behavior. And this is something that my wife noticed when she was gavaging the animals prior to the seizure studies, they were easier to hold. They didn't have like uh, a fear response, uh, sometimes the animals would jump off of the rotor rod because they were just like freaked out. They were, they were, had a fear response, but uh, when we gavage them with the ketone supplement, they were, it seemed like they were super rats. And we realized that in looking at, and she was looking at this, she's like, I don't think they're necessarily 
have much better exercise performance, but they're so calm, they tend to stay on the rotor rod device mm. easier. And I mean, I was excited about the exercise, but she's like correcting me. And I was like, no, they're more calm and, and they just run. And I was like, okay, well, if you think that, why don't you study it? And we had a little bit of like departmental funds. So we did mm. like an elevated plus maze. And in these studies, the combination of beta hydroxybutyrate salt and MCT formulation together, they stayed on the elevated plus maze, the open arm, which is like walking. If you take someone who's really like uh, just not very social person and, and introvert and put them out on a catwalk uh, that's elevated and you have an audience. So that, that's kind of like the elevated plus maze, <laughs> I guess. Otherwise you can run into the closed arm, which is like running into a cave. Mm -hmm. So the rats, it kind of it, it reduced their fear response, uh, similar to taking like a pretty mild, moderate dose of Xanax mm -hmm. or even a high dose. So the, the data is kind of similar on that, that they would go out into the open arm and they were basically more social and they're quite easier to handle. So this was very interesting to us because we think it could apply to a number of psychiatric disorders. Um, and we are doing research on that now, actually. That's, that's super awesome. That's fascinating. Well, speaking of some of the clinical applications of this and your ongoing research, we know that your team is currently conducting an outcome study on metabolic syndrome using CGM, continuous glucose monitoring. And you and I and Michael and Genova share a friend, Dr. Casey Means, who is you know the chief medical officer at Levels. And some of the work you're doing around ketosis and CGM is fascinating. So can you talk a little bit about that work and, and what are some of the outcomes that you're hoping to really learn about there? Yeah, I, thanks for asking. I was uh, I had always been interested in continuous glucose monitoring and some of my friends had used them. And then it was only after I connected with Levels, Josh Clemente and Casey Means, that I started getting really interested because mm -hmm. I saw the vision of the company and the different applications of using continuous glucose monitoring in non-diabetics for metabolic optimization. And that's really the, the title of our study, clinical trial. And we have a registered clinical trial on the use of CGM as a behavioral tool for metabolic optimization when it comes to improving uh, a number of different biomarkers, improving and looking at glycemic variability over time, uh, looking and an analyzing the CGM uh, trace. Uh, we do, we look at non-alcoholic fatty liver disease in our subjects. Mm -hmm. uh, what's interesting, you could get subjects that are not obese, that do not have type two diabetes. And many the majority of the subjects in our study actually had signs of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which mm -hmm. reverses very quickly with carbohydrate restriction, uh, and a, and a ketogenic diet, a low carb diet or a ketogenic diet. And, uh, and some of the data that jumped out in our first cohort, we're doing our second cohort now, but in our first cohort, uh, improvements in mood and anxiety. And we used the GAD7 test and the P PHQ9 test, and also sleep tends to improve too. So these are some of the preliminary uh, data coming out of the first cohort that we've presented at uh, research events here at the University of South Florida. And next month we'll be at experimental biology at the conference center in Philadelphia. And uh, our medical students and some of the PhD and undergrad students will be presenting that, that research. 
Yeah. Well, we know we know you wear a level CDM. We've seen you on social media. Yes. And I wore one. <laughs> I do. Was it last summer I wore one, yeah, and I was in ketosis. Yeah. Yeah. And so, what's your experience been with that and being a deep ketosis? Because I was having all kinds of weird readings, like she was really worried. low. No, like, like I was like every at day she'd come in. It's like, like forty. I think. And I, I feel is there fine. something wrong? I'm like, you're fine. So I said, Michael, if, if I die, you can have my stuff. I don't yeah. know what what the CGM means in the face of full blown ketosis. So, what's your experience been? Yeah. Uh, well, I apologize for any noise or things. My Dexcom, I wear, uh, so the Levels software can work with the Abbott uh, mm -hmm. Libre device, or it can work with the Dexcom G6. The Dexcom G6 has a warning that I can't shut off on my phone and it, it went <laughs> off in the middle of talking with you guys. I don't know if you About heard CGM. it. About CGM. <laughs> it just wanted yeah. to get it. Yeah. It wanted to get in there. A free plug. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, just prior to, to jumping on, I was doing some yard work out in the sun and everything. And then it tends to drop. If I'm out in the sun doing activity and I come in and sit down, then I always get this like post exercise, maybe it's being out in the sun, big dip. In, and also it happens after I swim in the pool each mm. night, it goes off every, every time. And I can't, my wife freaks out. She's like, <laughs> so what I have to do is actually go in and calibrate it to be a little bit higher. So I don't get those, that those lows, but when you wear a CGM and you're on a ketogenic diet, it's very boring. <laughs> and I say right? that because the, the, the trace yeah. is like pretty much completely flat unless I exercise really hard. Uh -huh. Or I, I drink alcohol, alcohol, like very, very low sugar alcohol. Mm -hmm. I, I use, uh, I have one small glass of dry farm wines mm -hmm. and which has like less than one gram of sugar per bottle. Right. Uh, but other forms of alcohol can actually increase because of the sugar, mm -hmm. but alcohol tends to reduce, uh, cause hypoglycemic that'll, that'll trigger it sometimes. But, uh, but it's been very insightful, uh, and it's given me the software that Levels uh, has is very actionable. So I can take a picture of my food. I record, you know, take a picture, mark, you know, Cobb salad or whatever I had mm -hmm. last night. And uh, and then it gives you a metabolic score for that. And it emails you the uh, your your metabolic data after and uh, and you get a weekly average, too. It shows you each day. Uh, what happens. So the software is very user-friendly, very insightful, and very actionable. And that's what I really like about it. And there's all so many features built into the software. I should be using these features, but it, but I don't. I just <laughs> use the very simple things. But if you are a customer and you really want to get a handle on your uh, glycemic control, mm -hmm. then this is amazing technology. And I think as we move forward, other analytes like ketones and lactate right. and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Abbott has the lingo, which measures alcohol too. I mm -hmm. think it's going to be a game changer. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's interesting too. I, we tend to think of things in absolutes and kind of simple models just to kind of help us get through. And so, you know, one of the things that I always heard prior to having something like a CGM was, oh, you know, it takes X amount of time to get into ketosis. And I'm like, well, that's just because of how we're measuring it. I think, I mean, I, I wonder, you know, we think about, you know, the eight hour fast that we typically have overnight and there's, mm -hmm. a, you know, somewhat of a subtle increase, I'm sure, in ketone production and these gradual shifts between glycolysis and beta oxidation kind of always occurring all the time, which makes me wonder about snacks. I mean, how often have we been told that you need to snack between meals and things like that? Is what, How do you feel about that? And is that naturally shutting off even our, you know, baseline levels of ketone production? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. You know, it is if it's not a ketogenic snack, right? Right, uh, right, right, right. Carbohydrates. Uh, but I do think it's, it's unnatural 
to uh, never go into ketosis. I'll, I'll say that. I think it's it's quite natural. Like we had, we'd have limited food availability, the frequency, and the availability of you know carbohydrate consumption is you know off the charts now. Right. And uh, and to suppress that would be natural. So I think it is natural to occasionally go in. So. I will do intermittent fasting, not every day, but usually maybe twice a week, depending on my work schedule. Mm -hmm. And that seems to work really well for me. If I do it too much, just as if I do the ketogenic diet too strict, I tend to lose weight. And I just, I I can't eat. If I eat according to my appetite, I lose weight too fast. And if I do time-restricted feeding or intermittent fasting, however you want to call it, is a great tool for creating a calorie deficit, which is important for losing weight, but losing weight is pretty easy, but sustaining that weight loss can be quite difficult. Mm -hmm. And I believe that the best way to sustain that weight loss would be, you know, implementing uh, time restricted feeding and also not necessarily a ketogenic diet, but some form of carbohydrate restriction will help to uh, decrease cravings and also probably influences appetite control centers in the brain, like the higher protein, higher fat, and then reducing glycemic fluctuations throughout the day. I can tell you if I'm hypoketotic and hypoglycemic, then I get a, a craving, a intense craving for, for food, which just doesn't, it's abolished or completely attenuated on a ketogenic diet. Um, and even with calorie restriction, ketogenic diet, when you're uh, in a calorie deficit, you don't have those intense cravings that you would if you're on a carbohydrate-based diet that's in it in a calorie deficit in in that same vein of metabolic flexibility and going back and forth with ketones and glucose like you just mentioned michael there's something called the glucose ketone index what is that and and why is that clinically important yeah uh my colleague tom Safred uh brought this to my attention that you know we can measure glucose in milligrams per deciliter uh, or millimolar, which I think most of the rest of the world may be using. So the concentration of glucose and ketones in the blood uh, will dictate your glucose ketone index. So it's simply the level of glucose over the level of ketos, ketones, beta-hydroxybutyrate specifically, in millimolar concentration. Uh, that's the definition of uh, the glucose ketone index. And we know from seizure data in in animal models and humans that if you can achieve and maintain a glucose ketone index of like one to two, that's incredibly, uh, has an incredible anti-seizure effect, neuroprotective effect, uh, and also an anti-cancer effect in various preclinical animal models of cancer and some human clinical trials too. So what that means is uh, maybe put it in the context of fasting. If I stop eating now, uh, my glucose would drop maybe from four or five down to three millimolar, and it would take about 72 hours or so for my ketones to get up to three millimolar. And a, a glucose level of three millimolar and a ketone level, beta hydroxybutyrate of three millimolar, would be a glucose ketone index of one. Right. And that has remarkable anti seizure effects. I mean, you're really changing your metabolic physiology which changes your brain energy metabolism, which also has a major impact on the neuropharmacology of your brain, meaning that uh, GABA levels are higher relative to glutamate, adenosine levels are higher. Uh, It's changing neurotransmitter systems, maybe by virtue of the metabolic changes. Uh, And the glucose ketone index could be a good 
a good single biomarker, I think, for a variety of disease states. Hmm. Let me ask a follow-up, and this might be... I don't know, asking you to do some sort of reckless hypothesizing. but <laughs> Which that, we're all about. We're here for that. <laughs> exactly. Go ahead. Does that hold true in the artificial simulation, which is what you were referring to earlier, where somebody would have a high glucose and you're taking ketones exogenously to create an index of one? Very good question. I believe that, you know, in the context of a eucaloric diet or a calorie-restricted diet, in our hands, in preclinical animal models, uh, you can use exogenous ketones to not only elevate ketone levels, blood ketone levels, but it seems to have a pretty remarkable reduction in glucose. So I described previously the decrease in glucose being due to uh, secretion of insulin, which is probably not a good thing uh, if you're trying to manage cancer because insulin can stimulate, you know, IGF-1 and, and growth factor signaling and things like that, and glycolysis. Uh, whereas if you use like a ketone salt or medium chain triglyceride oil, MCT oil, you can buy pretty much anywhere derived from coconut or palm oil. Mm -hmm. uh, these things will lower glucose without uh, causing a release in insulin. So therefore, these keto exogenous ketones, I think of them truly as a supplement. They are a calorie-containing food that can be added to... Uh, a ketogenic diet to further augment the therapeutic efficacy of the ketogenic diet by lowering the glucose ketone index. And we have shown in our model systems that you can put animals on a standard uh, diet, standard rat chow, um, and administer these ketogenic agents and they have anti-seizure effects, uh, anti-cancer anti, uh, effects, neuroprotective effects, um, so I think that has maybe sparked quite a few trials on clinicaltrials.gov, uh, which would be interesting to see, follow the science to see where that goes with the results. Right. Well, I mean, just to be frank, I was kind of asking for myself selfishly because I want to get away with having bagels in the morning. And so <laughs> I was just hoping I could do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, the ketogenic diet is a very restrictive diet and it's, um, my one of the contentions is that it's eliminating like a whole food group right of, mm -hmm. of fruits and vegetables and things like that although i eat far more vegetables on a ketogenic diet than i did growing up mm -hmm. eating a high carb diet right. so i grew up eating lots of bread we're italian we had lots of pasta um you know and i didn't really eat maybe i would have some iceberg lettuce you know salad at night right. or something like right. that but i eat a lot more vegetables now and i'm of the opinion that uh, a ketogenic diet high in fiber is optimal for a variety of reasons. When you uh, add fiber in the form of like a salad, salad greens with olive oil and things like that, the, the, the leafy greens are, could be a vehicle for delivering fat, like healthy fats. And the fiber tends to delay gastric absorption, which will actually moderate your insulin response to a meal, to the protein. So protein can increase insulin a little bit, but mm -hmm. When you deliver protein with fiber and fat, it tends to attenuate that. See, you know what happens, Michael, whenever a dom comes on the show? It leads to lists and lists and lists I, more questions. I've been writing I know, them, I know. I'm like, I, we've already sucked up I how know. much time, and it's like, <laughs> my list just keeps getting longer, I, not shorter. I know. But one, one <laughs> other thing, Dom, and you mentioned this a bit earlier, you are the co-host of the yearly Metabolic Health Summit, which is coming up in just a month or two, like you pointed out in San Diego. Can you talk to us about what we can expect there this year? And, and tell us about this summit. You know, Give us a good plug, because Genova's going to be there. So let us know what oh, everyone that's else fantastic. can see. Yeah. 
Yeah. Thank you for coming. And th- thanks for asking about that. Yeah. I would encourage people to go to metabolichealthsummit.com and you can, we have a, an agenda, a tentative agenda set up. All the speakers are listed there. There's a virtual component. I would highly recommend, you know, if you do research, uh, you know, medical or scientific, or just even your end of one experiment, you, there, we have a poster session. So please submit to the poster session. You can, all the speakers, platform speakers are chosen, but uh, people like Derek, uh, Dr. Eric uh, Kossoff from Johns Hopkins on seizures, we have Alzheimer's speakers, uh, Dale Bredesen from the Buck Institute will be coming back. Awesome. Uh, nice. We have speakers on female health and hormones and how ketogenic diets and inter, you know, intermittent fasting is used in, in females and some considerations there. Dr. Jamie Seaman mm. uh, is there. Uh, Dr. Lucia Aronica uh, from Stanford will be talking about the epigenetic effects of diet. Um, we have Jethro Hugh, who studies uh, glioblastoma and brain tumors. Uh, we have the chair from University of, of Alabama, Dr. Barbara Gower, just talking about obesity, insulin resistance. So, and then we have, you know, dietitians speaking about the implementation. So we want to have science, clinical medicine, and people talking about implementation. And we also have patients speaking, patients who have use metabolic approaches to manage their otherwise terminal disorder speaking at this. And we have amazing sponsors, <laughs> a variety of different sponsors. And we're so excited that you're going to be there. Yeah. Uh, these sponsors have food products, they have supplements and technologies and uh, a variety of different, uh, there's a lot of entrepreneurs kind of scrambling to the space, sure. which is mm-hmm. exciting because yeah it's giving uh, the world a lot of tools to implement different dietary practices. Is this just for doctors and PhD researchers or is it for lay people and regular patients too? Yeah, good question. We have uh, CME credits or continuing medical education credits. So if you you need those, come. But we want to open it up to the educated. We want to make it so everybody can benefit from this. Mm -hmm. So I think there's going to be, it's going to be heavily skewed towards, you know, functional medicine doctors, MDs, PhDs, registered dietitians, and uh, students. We want to really open the platform for a lot of students. We have some USF Morsani College of Medicine students attending, uh, some residents attending, fellows attending. Uh, But I think the other half is going to be really just the people who want to improve their metabolic health for themselves Mm -hmm. and for their loved ones and just to understand uh, the emerging application of metabolic therapies. It's really great. Awesome. It's really great. Awesome. We're looking forward to seeing yeah, you there, absolutely. Don. Yeah. <laughs> but this has been, as per usual, an amazing amount of information, Dr. Diagostino. But we're going to encourage everyone to go to the metabolichealthsummit.com and check out this summit. But before we let you go, we do have one last question. You may or may not remember from the last time you were here that I'm going to kick to Michael Chapman. Yeah, I think we asked you about sandwiches previously, which was kind of... Uh, Maybe not the best question to be asking somebody <laughs> reporting ketosis. ketosis. So I'm going to switch it up a little bit. And thinking about how you spent uh, a good amount of time with NASA's Extreme Environment Mission Operation NEMO 22 at the bottom of the ocean in a situation that I could only describe oh, for myself as the most claustrophobic inducing thing that would probably make me go crazy like that guy from the abyss. <laughs> yeah. But with all that being said, what is your favorite sea animal? Whoa. Favorite sea animal. Thank you for asking that again. So my, I, I would be in big trouble if I didn't say the giant manta rays. Whoa. For sure. My wife did oh. her PhD yeah. on uh, the, the 
brains of manta rays <laughs> and actually discovered they have the largest brains of all fish. Aww. So we actually spend a, quite a bit of time, uh, our, our vacation time, studying them, diving with them, uh, studying their behavior. Mm -hmm. She was just interviewed for a documentary on this. And uh, and they are just amazing creatures. So I would definitely have to say the giant manta ray. Yeah. I'm going to go have to watch them. They're Same. certainly majestic in they how they move. Are. Yeah, Right. It's a big Florida thing, too. It yeah. makes sense that Dom has a lot of them nearby. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you so much Thanks, for Dom. spending time with us. Um, it's just a delight and pleasure as always. Thank you both for having me on. I really appreciate it. You guys are influencers, educators, and entertainers. I love the banter between you guys. So uh, keep doing what you're doing. And uh, I really appreciate having this platform to talk about my research and metabolic health. Summit we love too. it. Awesome. Thank you, Dom. Awesome. Thank you. How about that? Did you hear that? Did I hear what? Manta Ray? No. He called us influencers. Well. How do you feel about that? I, Mr. Influence, I, I feel, oh, I, here's what I feel about that. Go ahead. My 300 followers on my Instagram <laughs> are going to be super excited that they are so powerful. Well, I'm jealous of your 300 followers. Small Let's but mighty there. army. <laughs> what a great interview, though. So much we learned. We had lists of questions. We've gotten those answered. Now we've got further lists. You know what this means. We have to buy one of those influencer content houses. Totally. Next time on The Lab Report, we're going to talk about chocolate. Can we talk about regular chocolate and not white chocolate? Please? No, we have to talk about both. Really? Yeah. All right. Yes. Is it going to be keto? The podcast? Is the podcast going to be <laughs> keto? Didn't we just do the that? The chocolate. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. The content houses for Instagram. You've seen or these TikTok, people. Yeah. You've seen these people. It's ridiculous. They're like dancing, staring at themselves and their phones. It's everything that it's you ridiculous. would... It's ridiculous. If you were to go on to TikTok... Uh-huh. And then imagine if you put a bunch of these people together, what would it look like? In and one it's house. exactly what it it's exactly what it would look like. Would you last one week in one of these content houses? I can't last one week on the platform, <laughs> let alone anywhere near the actual production so of it. So self-indulgent. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I think that's it, right? It's it's mm -hmm. a sign like we're in the end times. <laughs> the apocalypse is near. <laughs>